Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. To us. Fires. Touchdown, Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play to get it. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we pick up our 2022 season preview, both the Miami Dolphins and the National Football League. We'll stop by the tight ends room. One addition to the group, a new man in charge in Coach John Embry. We'll also hear from Coach McDaniel. Plus, we'll wrap up the NFC preview of the 2022 season with the NFC East. All of that and more from somewhere in central Washington. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Rolling along now with our position-by-position season preview, getting you ready for training camp 2022, and the Dolphins will be back at camp on July 26th. We'll have exact dates for practices for you guys here very, very shortly on the Drive Time Podcast. And let's go ahead and pick it up here at the tight end position because there was only one addition, a former college wide receiver, UDFA out of Idaho State. And he actually came from a town that I used to work in, in Kent, Washington, Tanner Connor. Uh, The lone addition and no departures from the room. Everybody back, the incumbents with Mike Gesicki, Hunter Long, Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, and Seathan Carter. But there is a new man in charge of the room in John Embry, and he arrives with one of the most decorated coaching resumes you can have as an assistant coach, and that earned him the assistant head coach role here with Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins. 13 of his 30 coaching years of experience in football come from the NFL, and you look across those NFL years, and you go year by year, player by player, guys have their best seasons in John Embry's tight ends room. Hall of Famers have played under him. All pros, pro bowlers. Uh, You go back to what George Kittle put on his Instagram when Embry left San Francisco and came over to Miami saying that being able to start my career with you was the best possible thing for me. You showed me the standard at which you had to play to have a chance to succeed in this league, end quote there from Kittle. And again, Kittle's just the latest tight end under Embry, a former fifth-round draft pick, to reach the pinnacle of his position. I mean, it's, what is it, Kittle, Kelsey, a couple other guys, Gasicki right in there as well, uh, that are top of the league. And he's also coached Tony Gonzalez, who obviously is one of the all-time great tight ends. Chris Cooley had his best years under Embry. Fred Davis did too. Jordan Cameron had his really good Pro Bowl breakout season under John Embry. And then also Cameron Bray with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Similar story there for him. I did a breakdown on Embry's, or really the entire new Dolphins coaching staff's career with their resumes and the players they coached and the number of all pros and Pro Bowls and all that fun stuff. It was the February 18th podcast. The Dolphins announced their 2022 coaching staff, if you're so inclined to go back and check that out. because, And even with Frank Smith, Dolphins OC, 
his year with the Raiders or a couple years with the Raiders as the tight ends coach saw Darren Waller become Darren Waller. So again, it's like up and down the roster here with as far as the Dolphins coaching staff goes. And Embry certainly one of the forefront members of that particular accomplishment. And this group at a glance, the Dolphins tight end room, it it's probably the position with the most continuity on the roster, talking about all the incumbents returning to one addition in the undrafted free agent class. And this is the same group that rewrote the Dolphins tight end franchise record books for uh, receiving yardage, tied the touchdown mark that year as well back in 2020, primarily with Mike Gesicki, Durham Smythe, and Adam Shaheen. And the two former guys I mentioned there, Gesicki and Smith, both had career bests last year in 2021 with 73 and 34 catches and 780 and 357 receiving yards. Of course, the Dolphins played 12 personnel last year, 61% of the time per Warren Sharp. That was substantially by far the greatest usage of two tight end sets, one back, two tight ends, uh, two wide receivers, obviously, with the Miami Dolphins last year. But Shaheen, you know, two years ago had his best year as a pro. That year, the Dolphins had 1,061 receiving yards on 91 catches and 11 touchdowns. And then last year, you add Seathan Carter, who was a core member, I should say a member of the Dolphins' core special teams group, playing 268 snaps in that phase. And then also, you add in a second-year tight end, Hunter Long. And something we cover in the podcast here, I even talked to Coach Embry about the challenges of going from college tight end to pro tight end because you have to be concerned with all three phases of the offense, right? Run game in in terms of the blocking, pass routes, and pass protection. It's a tough position to learn at this level, and he showed progress as the year went along, and I thought it was impressive how he came out really strong in camp, had that injury in camp, and still made it out there for the season opening game against the Patriots and just continued to show progress as the year went along, and then of course also getting uh, the addition of former wide receiver from Idaho State, Tanner Connor, to help give the room a lot more athletic ability, because that guy can flat out go when it comes to the testing metrics, but on the whole, it's a balanced group with the ability to really help the offense mask their personnel, because you talk about 12 personnel with Smythe and Gasicki last year, I mean, you know, Gasicki can do multiple things, Smythe can as well, and that's really indicative of how this room has been put together really top to bottom in terms of their versatility, their ability to execute multiple roles, and then also just keep each other fresh with the exceptional depth of the room. You start with Mike Gesicki, who, you know, you talk about the focal point of that versatility as well as the execution. Since 2020, he's sixth among tight ends in receiving, and those elements of his game are known. But I wanted to play this audio clip from Mike McDaniel, who talked about his appreciation for his new weapon, in terms of Mike Gesicki, not just for the on-field prowess and the receiving skill set, but also how he attacks his craft and how he works on things like blocking in the running game. So here's Coach McDaniel on Mike Gesicki, but first before that, he talks about the tight end room as a whole and kind of what the coaching staff looks for and the expectations from that position group. Here's Coach McDaniel answering a question back during OTAs that was posed to him regarding tight ends and the blocking game and how he sees this group, not just with Gasecki and, and Durham Smythe, but the entire group kind of coming along in that regard and what's asked of the entire room with that skill set in mind. So it was a, that was a process because you're, uh, you're hesitant to just do, make foregone conclusions off of statistics or anything like that. So it took a lot of tape watching and there's, um, you know, we, we knew fully that our that we'd be asking these these guys to do some different things um, than they've done in the past. Um, after 
a really deep diamond and watching all the guys, you know, it felt like they're, not only did they put good stuff on tape, but there was a lot of room to grow. We thought that, um, and, and, the, and the people first and foremost were the type of people that uh, we want to represent us um, as Miami Dolphins. So uh, that, that was, it was both the tape and, and the people and it took a little time to uncomb, but um, once we uncombed it, we, we felt really good about it. As far as Mike Gusecki, he's, he's uh, been as impressive as any player on the team in terms of going after uh, a challenge. You know, he hasn't, you, know, you guys probably could rattle off the stats, but um, three-point wasn't his primary um, position, and he's been working diligently in the run and pass game um, to do things that, uh, that this offense can feature um, without taking away the stuff that, that has made him who he is. Uh, and and there, there's pieces of that in the offense, you know, as we're, we're always tailing, tailoring um, what we do to the skill set of our players. But he's really attacked it um, with, uh, with full vigor and has, uh, has really done a great job working on his footwork in the run game and, uh, you know, hoping that carries over um, to pads when, when that happens. And then we have two sound clips here from tight ends coach and assistant head coach John Embry talking first about the tightness of that tight ends room, but also the versatility we touched on. And hearing it from coach, I think it's always better than hearing it from me, obviously. Why don't we go ahead and do that? Here's coach Embry talking about his tight ends room here with the Miami Dolphins and something he did with the group as a whole to kind of get those introductions and icebreakers out the way and get to know the guys a little bit. Here's coach Embry on his tight ends. Uh, I took them all to Top Golf maybe a month ago just to hang out and talk kind of get to know them and uh, there's a lot of competitiveness in that room but good friendships as well so that's good to see that because sometimes guys are like well he's I want to do what he's doing and there's not that same kind of vibe or uh, relationship with each other but they really do pull for each other you know and 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 because my whole thing is if one guy has success, we all have that success. We all share in that. You know, it, I get it. So and so scored that touchdown, but it was all of our work together to help make that happen. So uh, it's been really good. I'm, I'm really happy with all those guys and excited to keep moving forward with them. So we are a podcast that largely focuses on themes, right? We talk about the theme of continuity in this tight end room, the theme of versatility in this tight end room. We talk about the theme of balancing a roster, as we've discussed, using the youth of the recent draft classes that provide you that youth from 2020, 2021, with all those draft picks the Dolphins had, especially in early rounds, with veteran-type players. So here is Coach Embry after telling us about the continuity in that room, the way that room works together as a team, and here about the versatility of the room in terms of different positions that they can line up at, but also the balance of veteran and young player within a particular room? Well, I, I think all those guys can play Y or F. I think they all have skill sets. They can do those different things. Um, you know, the other thing about the room is, uh, you know, you have guys, you know, that are like Mike and, and, and uh, Durham that are, you know, a little more veteran than like a Hunter and seaton has been around a little bit too, so... It's, it's just been real good to, uh, you know, have that mix in there because I think, you know, when you get in these rooms and you start going through it, everybody has a journey, right? And when you're a young guy and you see some veteran guys and you see their journey, you can 
that guy can help you relate to what you're going through. And that's what I mean, like, I feel like those guys really want to help each other and pull for each other. You know, it's they're not so far away removed as not like, oh, I forgot what my second year in the league was, was like or what this is like. So they uh, there's there's enough shared experience, enough experiences in there that they can be shared and, and help everyone have continued success. That was Coach Embry from May 5th and his media availability there. So you heard from McDaniel, you heard from Embry. Let's go ahead and get into the cast of players here once again in order of jersey number. And it starts with the UDFA, number 48, Tanner Connor, a former prep high hurdle champion back in high school, was also a standout wide receiver at Idaho State. And you remember, you know, the pandemic and the FCS kind of messed up their schedule. They played some, fall, some games in the spring, so they didn't have a full complement of games the last two years. But he did parlay a really solid college career with ridiculous testing measurables into a spot on the Dolphins roster heading into training camp. At his pro day, he clocked a 4-3-7 40-yard dash and jumped 37.5 inches on the vertical leap. He's a very built 6'3", 226-pound athlete who posted 34 catches for 685, <laughs> big play receiver, and three touchdowns in six games back in 2021. Number 80, Adam Shaheen, appeared in 28 games the last two years as a Miami Dolphin. He's totaled 260 receiving yards and three touchdowns since that trade late in the summer of 2020. He's increased his receptions, yardage, and touchdown totals from his first three years of his career as a Chicago Bear, and he serves as one of these dual-functioning tight ends capable of playing physical in, in line as a blocking tight end. He can also play that play-action game and leak out into the form, or into the, into the pass pattern and catch a big pass. I'm thinking about that Jets game last year, uh, a third and short where he kind of makes a block, climbs off that block, and, and falls into the opposite side of the formation, and Tua hits him for a big completion and a big first down on that opening drive of the game. And that physicality in the running game also shows up a little bit as a route runner uh, in the receiving game. Number 81, Durham Smythe. Talk about core special teams like Durham Smythe since his rookie season has been on the Dolphins core special teams. And he also saw that significant leap last year in offensive production. His presence on both units it really is a microcosm of the many hats that he wears. You know, punt protection, kick coverage, like kick return, all of those things he does. He also often aligns in line and faces up as a blocker in the ground game. Or he kind of can offset and go across formation, dig out the backside uh, you know, backside of the formation, that quasi H-back role. He can lead it up in there. He uses the athletic ability that we we kind of see in that aspect. Also in the passing game, like that bread and butter last year where he would come across the formation, dummy that block on the backside uh, force defender, and then turn that thing to the flat, catch the pass, turn it up the sideline, and make a you know, 10, 12-yard catch and get a first down for the Dolphins. But he set career highs and catches with 34 yards for 357. He was also eighth on the team in special team snaps with 238. His 716 snaps on offense brought his season total to 954, which was fifth most among any Dolphins player on offense and 10th overall on the team when you factor in offense, defense, and special team snaps. Number 82, Seathan Carter. Speaking of special teams, the only time this guy wasn't a top 50 special teams tackler in terms of total tackles made was the year he missed back in 2018. He's been a special teams ace since entering the league back in 2017 out of Nebraska with the Cincinnati Bengals. And last year, he caught two passes for 16 yards in addition to his 268 snaps in the game's third phase. Number 84, Hunter Long, a third-round pick last year. He appeared in seven games as a rookie. And, you know, at the risk of sounding repetitive, he's another tight end with dual functionality. And that's 
evident by his production at Boston College. You've heard this before by now on the podcast, but 2019, the Eagle, the, the BC Eagles were an I formation. A.J. Dillon run the football type of offense, and he was the highest graded run blocking tight end in pro football focus that year. The next season, they shift to a more spread out modern attack, pass heavy attack, and he leads all tight ends in the country with catches and was the absolute focal point of that BC passing game. Number 88, Mike Gesicki. It's a matchup league, and few players at the position create more conflict for opposing defenses than Mike Gesicki. Since 2020, only five tight ends have more than Gesicki's 1,483 receiving yards. Flashback to the Houston game last year and those couple of absurd catches that he made. The first, he's matched up one-on-one with a safety outside, and Jacoby Brissett throws a back shoulder ball. Gesicki boxes out, elevates, goes up with the go-go gadget arms, and plucks the football one-handed. That's just what he's done his entire career. To the tune of 45 contested catches on 90 opportunities, a 50% catch rate with that type of volume is pretty rare. In fact, Gasicki was second in the NFL among all tight ends the last two seasons in contested catches. He had 17 last year and 15 in 2020. He trailed only Mark Andrews last year of the Ravens and Darren Waller of the Raiders in 2020. So that's your Dolphins tight ends room heading into training camp. Tanner Connor, Adam Shaheen, Durham Smythe, Seathan Carter, Hunter Long, and Mike Gasicki. Let's go ahead and take our first break here and come back on the other side and break down our final NFC division on the 2022 NFL preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. The NFC East, Cowboys, Eagles, Commanders, and Giants up next here on Drive Time. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to point game. King of the court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Recording this podcast on a beautiful Saturday afternoon from the Pacific Northwest. I hope you all are enjoying your summer so far. I certainly am, and I always love this time of year to take a look at the entire NFL and get to know the league and the offseason moves, a refresher, because so much happens in this dang league For really 11 months out of the year, this is the 12th month where you kind of get a chance to go back and refresh, watch some tape, read some articles, look at the additions, look at the team roster pages, all that fun stuff. I have been doing that in my downtime here this summer. And we start in the NFC East here with the Dallas Cowboys, starting off with the where they are, where they've been, where they're going segment. And they've really followed the strange track of alternating successful seasons with ones that are not that. And I think you could excuse you know, the 2020 season to Dak Prescott's injury, even though they were 1-3 and three when he went down. But he was playing at a blistering pace, and it was the defense that was struggling to get stops at that point. And that sort of goes back to his 2016 rookie season with the up one year, down the next. 
Coming off a division title and a tough postseason loss to the San Francisco 49ers, the Cowboys roster has certainly taken on the vision of you know top dog in Jerry Jones, and of course now by extension the Jones family. And you can get your Jerry Jones jokes in there, but the truth is the reason they have a roster full of household marquee names is not just because they have the star on the side of their helmet and the whole America's team tag and the team that everybody either loves to love or loves to hate. It's because they draft superstars. <laughs> Find a team with more success in the first round the last decade, and honestly, probably two decades. Like, just go down the list. Micah Parsons, rookie defensive player of the year. C.D. Lamb, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. No pick in 2019, Amari Cooper trade. Leighton Vander Esch, Taco Charlton, Zeke Elliott, Byron Jones, Zach Martin, Morris Claiborne, Tyron Smith, Des Bryant, no pick in 2009, Mike Jenkins in 2008. That's more than a decade, but we're making a point here. And again, it goes further than that. Anthony Spencer in 2007, Demarcus Ware, Hall of Famer in 2005, Terrence Newman in 03, Roy Williams in 02, and they didn't have first round picks in 2000 and 2001. So in the last 20 years, there are 19 first round picks. 13 of those guys have made at least one Pro Bowl. And I'm certain C.D. Lamb will make that 14 in no more than one or two years. So they've had talent. They've had the quarterbacks with Romo and Dak, another one of these teams that has gone from a guy, in my opinion, good enough to hear his name called on Hall of Fame induction night in Tony Romo to a quarterback who's main a mainstay in the conference's Pro Bowl and not those fourth or fifth alternates like Dak Prescott's legit top three, four, five in the NFC every single year. In between it all, some heartbreaking postseason trips. And that, to me, is another nod to Coach McDaniel on the Fish Tank podcast talking about all the variables... You haven't heard it, go back and check it out. YouTube, Spotify, Apple. All the variables that impact wins and losses. Winning games is hard in this league. Winning consecutive games is hard. Winning consecutive games in mid-January into February is really, really, really hard. But Dallas has been there. They'll probably be there again this year as their drafting prowess gets tested a bit in the way you'll see guys like Michael Gallup and Tony Pollard and Dalton Schultz take on more prominent roles as receivers and running backs and tight ends have left that room this offseason. You know, Amari Cooper, Cedric Wilson, Blake Jarwin. Let's go ahead and take a look at what the the Cowboys did in the offseason. Not a lot of free agent acquisitions, but they were impactful in my opinion. Dante Fowler's a nice addition to that pass rush. And James Washington, I think, could have a nice career here as a receiver, leaving Pittsburgh, coming to Dallas. But gone, the list is long. And this is, again, kind of one of those things about why you, when you draft good players over and over again, you have to lose some of them because they get due up for second contracts. Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson both are gone. Blake Jarwin, Lyle Collins, Ty Nsecki, Randy Gregory, Brent Urban, Keanu Neal, and DeMonte Casey. That's a lot of talent out the door for Dallas. They had a very busy draft, though. In the first round, offensive tackle Tyler Smith out of Tulsa is as nasty as they come. Sam Williams in the second round out of Ole Miss, the defensive end. Receiver Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama in the third. And in the fourth, tight end Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin. Storylines for the Cowboys this year. Talked about it a little bit. The downfall of drafting so well is it's a good problem to have, right? But the Cowboys have done so well in that first round for so long that all those guys are seeing second lucrative deals with Dallas or otherwise. And then you pair that with the aggressiveness of the Amari Cooper trade slash extension back in 2019 and look at the talent that moved on in free agency as a result. Again, it's a good problem to have, but that list of departures makes this an interesting team beyond just being the Cowboys, in my opinion. And the drafting is so dang good, as I said, you know, in the first round earlier, but extends beyond that. I mean, Michael Gallup, 
gets the big extension on top of Cedric Wilson, who was a sixth round draft pick coming here and getting his second contract as a pro. Tony Pollard was a mid round pick and legit one of the best backs in football last year. Tyler Biadish out of Wisconsin falls uh, in the draft all the way to the sixth round, but the Cowboys scoop him up and he plays pretty well. Trayvon Diggs, a second round pick, led the NFL in picks last year. Hell, their star quarterback was a fourth rounder. This draft is really intriguing. Tons of names that pop, and they might rely on some of those names in the draft this year. And then finally, Dak, or not finally, I have a couple more. <laughs> Dak, the quarterback is always the storyline, but we saw few quarterbacks last year have Dak's, a few quarterbacks that did have the same arc as Dak, I should say, where it's this blistering hot start, then midseason or so, the offense kind of bogs down. I'm curious to see, you know, is that the offense needing to evolve? Is that the quarterback's production? Like, again, so many variables that go into this. I'm just curious to see how he and the offense bounce back. I expect he'll do just fine because he's a great player. One of my storylines here is just Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. That's it because I'm curious to see who gets the, the lion's share of the workload. And then health slash replacements on the offensive line. It's still got two future Hall of Famers on the offensive line, even with Travis Frederick gone. Tyron Smith and Zach Martin are going to be going to Canton someday, but 27 games missed among the two the last two seasons. They need both those guys to go wire to wire to get that unit back to its dominant ways, especially with Frederick and Collins, you know, Lyle Collins, both gone. Tyler Smith likely has an inside track to start day one. And it would appear they're going to count on a good chunk of that rookie class just going up and down that roster, like Sam Williams, in addition to Tyler Smith with uh, Jalen Tolbert and the tight end Jake Ferguson. I expect all those guys to play, you know, either first or second or third player type of reps in that particular room. The NFC East has no divisional games for the Dolphins this year, so we'll go ahead and skip any potential scheduling and pick it up here with the Philadelphia Eagles. Actually, let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll do the Eagles because the other two teams in the division, a little bit shorter uh, breakdowns of them. Let's go ahead and pick up the Eagles, Commanders, and Giants here next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, picking it back up here on the NFC East preview portion of the Drive Time Summer Preview Series with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I just wrote down here, Howie Roseman, man, like this team is so aggressive, they're innovative, and they utilize every avenue to improve their football team. Few teams have transitioned their you know, style slash approach more over the years than the Philadelphia Eagles. Even as they went from Doug Peterson to Nick Sirianni, you just look at this last draft and you see exactly what I mean. They go to their, you go to their 2022 Wikipedia page and it breaks down their draft day activity, like all the picks they at one time possessed and then moved off of. They made one pick in the first round, but at various times, 
They held 13th, 15th, 16th, 18th, and 19th overall picks this year. (laughs) They also traded a pick in the third round. They traded one pick in the fourth round. They traded three picks in the fifth round. They traded four picks in the sixth round and two picks in the seventh round. And for the Eagles, it's really been back and forth with them and the Cowboys the last you know, half decade plus. The commanders have popped up a couple of times, but it looks like on paper that could be the case again this year. They were aggressive in going to get a big-time playmaker on the perimeter to match with a very successful wide receiver pick last year in Devontae Smith, you know, A.J. Brown, kind of that similar Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill type of uh, acquisitions the last couple of years. Loading up for Jalen Hurts, not just at the skill positions, but investing up front with that Landon Dickerson pick last year, Cam Jurgens this year, while still having Jason Kelsey in the middle to go along with Jordan Mailata and Lane Johnson outside, and then Andre Dillard and Jack Driscoll as high draft picks in recent years there for depth. It's a good offensive line. But Eagles fans, and most famously super fan Giovanni, the kid with the podcast, at the Combine, imploring Howie Roseman to draft a linebacker, please. And they'll tell you about how much they want a defense this offseason. So enter two of the very best players from the best defense in college football history last year with Georgia, with Jordan Davis, who I just cannot see not being a star. And then N'Kobe Dean sandwiched around that Cam Jurgens pick in the second round while they brought back Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett, Anthony Harris. They added James Bradbury, Hassan Reddick. It's easy to see why this is the darling pick in the NFC East. This team has some dang talent depth, name talent, and a staff that can adapt to their personnel. Let's go ahead and revisit all the offseason moves here for the Eagles with the ones of note, I should say. Receiver A.J. Brown, linebacker Hassan Reddick with the two big splashes, a big first-round draft pick trade for Brown, a big free agent contract for Reddick. Kaiser White is a nice sub-package linebacker type of player. James Bradbury, a big-time get at cornerback to pair with Darius Slay. They also add Jimmy Moreland and Jaquiski Tart to their secondary and former Colts receiver Zach Paschal. The only player that was a really, you know, big-time snap taker who left was Brandon Brooks, the great guard who retired this offseason, one of the best players in Eagle history, really. In the draft, Jordan Davis, Cam Jurgens, N'Kobe Dean, 1-2-3. Storylines for the Eagles. Can Jalen Hurts keep building upon the success and progress of his first two years? I thought he's played really well so far as a second-round pick. Can they marry up his best trait, the ability to burn you with his legs, with the investment into wide receiver talent the last two years, because if you followed this team last year, you know that fans were pleading for more running, and they did that, and they began to win games, a lot of games. I'm curious to see how they land on a middle ground there, because you're not just going to go 70-30 run heavy when you have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith on your team. Then at running back, Miles Sanders seems like he's on the cusp of breaking out every dang year. Can he stay healthy and have that 1,000-yard season? I think he can and who was running back either 1B or 2, how you, however you classify that? You know, Boston Scott's a good player. Kenneth Gainwell, they've got some depth there. And I imagine that, you know, on defense, Davis and Dean, the rookies, play a lot this year, like potentially 1,500-plus combined snaps. How quickly does it happen for them? Frankly, I think the defense they want to play under Jonathan Gannon, defensive coordinator, and how Davis's sheer size and freaky athletic ability creates opportunities within that scheme to free guys up, I think it's a perfect pick for fit, not to mention a possible BPA pick there and best player available. And then Dean can only benefit from what Davis does. That year two jump as a team, right? We talked about this in the Lions going from competitive, feisty team to now having at least, you know, some expectations to see a significant leap in the win column. But the Eagles were that team last year that in a log jammed NFC wildcard race, got that nod at nine and eight 
went to Tampa Bay and had a rough outing there in the wild card round. Can they go from that backdoor wild card seven seed team that gets wiped out early to a team that makes a deep run? Like they attacked the offseason like a team that can. Now we got to see if it translates between the lines. The Washington Commanders. Look, no division has produced more single digit win champions than this one. And Washington has produced two of those since 2015 when they won it at nine and seven. And then again in 2020 at seven and nine. In between those years, one, three, and 13 campaign that produced Chase Young with the second overall pick in the draft that year, then 2020 Defensive Rookie of the Year also. Otherwise, it's been rinse and repeat with seven wins, eight, seven, and one in 2016, seven and nine in 2017, and 2018, then seven and 10 last year. But how much of those victories is NFC East cannibalization? I think it happens a little bit here in this division. It's been different quarterbacks, some coaching changes, but honestly, right on the cusp of potential playoff bid every year, hovering right around 500. And remember that epic Taylor Heineke performance in the wild card round two years ago? That's why you always want to sneak in. You can, you never know what's going to happen. Honestly, that might have been the most competitive game anybody played against the eventual world champion Buccaneers in that 2020 postseason. I guess the NFC Championship game against Green Bay was really good, but you get it. But that's who they've been. How they got here is a lot of draft picks on that D-line, right? That's the identity of the team. In 2020, they controlled games with dominant pass rush and a consistent run defense with timely offense and a solid ground game. They've got some nice pieces. Our non-quarterback offensive player of the division, which we'll get to here in a second, comes from this team. I mentioned Chase Young. Jonathan Allen is perhaps the most underrated player in the league for my money. Deron Payne gets after it. Montez Sweat as well up front. They add F.A. Obata and Fedarian Mathis to replace the depth they lost with Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis. Kendall Fuller and Car- uh, Cameron Curls, a nice perimeter cornerback duo. I love the Jahan Dotson pick. Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson Jr. That has a really nice chance to be a top-of-the-line one-two punch. Let's go ahead and take a look at their offseason as a whole. Carson Wentz is the newcomer at quarterback. Trey Turner, the guard, and Andrew Norwell are both newcomers. Defensive end F.A. Obata, gone. Quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, guard Brandon Scherf. Safety Landon Collins, guard Eric Flowers. Two defensive tackles in Ionatis and Tim Settle. And then tight end rookie Ricky Seals-Jones. In the draft, Jahan Dotson in the first round out of Penn State. The defensive tackle out of Alabama, Fedarian Mathis. In the third round, Brian Robinson out of Alabama. Percy Butler, the safety from Louisiana in the fourth round. And in the fifth round, they get a quarterback in Sam Howell from UNC. The storylines for the, for the commanders, it often starts at quarterback. And with this team, if this doesn't work out, you have to imagine that Wentz kind of falls into a backup role type of gig next year, right? Like often when it doesn't work out with the team that drafted said player, that player almost always takes that backup role initially. We saw it recently with Mariota, Trubisky, Rosen, Darnold to an extent. Like you get it. But Wentz is on his third team starting in three years with the Eagles, Colts, and now the Commanders. Can he rediscover that 2017 magic once again? Or at the very least, something remotely close to it? Keep an eye on that. I love the weapons. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson's like an all-Wingfield team in terms of guys I love their game. Curtis Samuel, too, for that matter. And then Diami Brown, one of the top premier deep threats in college just two years ago. I mentioned the backs. Love the weapons is what I'm trying to say. Can they capitalize on that group? Massive changes across the offensive line. Both guards are out. Norwell and Trey Turner as veterans are in. Can they make a big splash? Biggest of all is that defense. So dominant in 2020. Far from it in 2021. They have the pieces 
I could see Jamin Davis, last year's first-round pick, playing a big role in that. Had a tough rookie campaign, but my goodness, he is physically gifted. I'm curious to see what he does this year. Finishing up here with the New York Giants, and it's been as challenging of a road for the Giants as anybody in the league the last half-decade plus. They were a playoff team in 2016. Then it's just been difficult to come by victories. Three, five, four, six, and four wins since that playoff berth. Brutal. It's tough for a fan when, you know, Halloween comes around, you're basically out of contention. Coaching changes from Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer to Joe Judge. Now Brian Dayball gets his turn. I thought pairing him with Joe Shane was a really nice move for this organization. And you're seeing the shift from previous roster building principles of loading up in the trenches, the selection of a running back at number two overall a couple years back, some big contracts for veteran players on the open market. It just hasn't resulted in wins, but now you've got a new coach and another one of these quarterbacks in a prove-it type of year with Daniel Jones. Also hasn't been the start I'm sure he had hoped for. They did have some finds along the way with Dexter Lawrence, a dominant player. Andrew Thomas was probably the most improved player in football last year. And it's funny what a year does, right? Like Makai Becton has a near Pro Bowl season as a rookie for the Jets across town, the number 11 pick there. And then Tristan Wirfs does go to the Pro Bowl and wins a championship in his rookie season at pick 14. And Andrew Thomas, the number four pick, had a tough rookie year. And now a year later, he's right back in the running as potentially one of the top picks at the position in that draft class. Like, there's a lesson to be had there. And they also hit Yahtzee on Leonard Williams, getting him from the Jets a couple years back. Not in the draft, but a really solid acquisition. Let's go ahead and see what they did this offseason. Quarterback Tyrod Taylor's new tight end Jordan Aikens. On the offensive line, three newcomers, John Feliciano, Max Garcia, and Mark Glowinski. The latter, I think, is a really, really good player. Tight end Ricky Seals-Jones and defensive end Jihad Ward. A bunch of changes because you get a, a new coaching staff, new GM. Gone is Evan Ingram, Will Hernandez, Austin Johnson, Jabril Peppers, Keon Crossing to the Miami Dolphins, linebacker Lorenzo Carter, tight end Kyle Rudolph, safety Logan Ryan, and of course, cornerback James Bradbury now with the Eagles. In the draft, I thought they had one of the best drafts in the NFL. Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon and Evan Neal picks five and seven from Alabama in that first round. Wide receiver Wandale Robinson from Kentucky, guard Josh Izudis from UNC, and cornerback Cordell Flott from LSU. And in the storylines for the New York Giants and most teams, it starts at the quarterback position. No different here for the Giants. 2019 first-round draft pick Daniel Jones. Big year for him. Can he take advantage and capitalize with the Giants with the new coaching staff and Brian Dayball? Speaking of big years, Saquon Barkley, just for the sake of good football, I hope he stays healthy, man. Like Him and Christian McCaffrey are such talented players that we never get to see in their full capacity. I want that for both those guys this year. I'm curious to see what the slot position looks like here because Kadarius Toney was a first-round pick last year. Wondell Robinson in the second round this year. That's high resources poured into players that in college played the same position. We'll see how they use those guys this year. I'm sure Dayball has a great plan for them. And then just seeing how Shane and Dayball influence the roster. I don't think it happens overnight, but you can already see them kind of going away from the roster that Dave Gettleman had put together for the last several years. Storylines in this division. Can the Eagles live up to the hype? Because everything I'm seeing, hearing, reading from national pundits is the Eagles are far and away the best team in the division. Cowboys may be the second with close proximity, but from there, a big gap to the three and four teams. Will the division play out like that chalk is expected? Will a true contender emerge from this division? By that, I mean 11, 12, 13 win team that poses a true threat to win some games in mid-January. That's a big question. And then quarterbacks at a crossroads. Like for Dak, 
it's really only a perception's sake. He's fine. But the other three, there are expectations, I think, for Hertz, you know, less than the next two, but expectations that come with reinforcements and future draft capital. And then obviously Jones and Wentz, it's big years for them. That's really all I got. We'll see these teams in primetime a bunch. So you got to get to know the four of them. The divisional awards here, quarterback is Dak. The non-quarterback on offense is Terry McLaurin for me. The defensive player of the division is Micah Parsons. The best coach in the division for my money is Nick Sirianni. The breakout candidate this year, I'm between Michael Gallup and Devontae Smith. The rookie, I'm between Kayvon Thibodeau and Jordan Davis. And my division champion is the Eagles. Next, the offensive line and defensive line previews next week here on Drive Time will not have divisional previews. That'll be next week. And they'll pick it back up with linebackers in AFC West, corners and the AFC South, safeties in the AFC North, and finish it up the last week before training camp with our AFC East preview and the specialist on that podcast. I said it once, I'll say it 5,000 times, one of my very, very favorite times of year. With that, though, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. Check out our YouTube channel for all the media availabilities, drive time and fish tank segments, as well as Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility.